0: What's well, up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Ohioverse. As always, it's me and Greg. I don't think that's really going to change, and that's awesome. So I hope you guys like that. If not, well, then uh, uh, too bad, I guess. So <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, t- Tough,
0: tough. tough luck. <laughs> it's us. It's always going to be us. Well, I don't say always, but pretty much.
1: <laughs> Have we ever had anybody else on?
0: I, I don't think so. No. I was trying to think. I don't know. Unless, like, maybe Dom slipped in there once or something, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. i have to go back and look. Maybe if you guys remember, let us know. If not, you know, eh, it is what it is. So, uh, for today, (laughs) we're going to go ahead and talk about some Ohio State football. As always, we are in Ohio, and Ohio State is pretty much the biggest thing around here, especially in Central Ohio. We're going to talk about the Browns and, weirdly, how they're – doing pretty well even though maybe we don't want them to but hey you know what it is an ohio sports team so we got to talk about them and then we're going to talk about the red season and just another stinker and then the guardians who holy crap they made you know they they won the division so we got to talk about that and then we'll uh, we'll end off on the blue jackets and their um you know or i guess our expectations for them going into the season so well let's go ahead and start off with ohio state here and, you know, I know that they haven't played like, you know, crazy world breeder teams, but obviously week one, we thought Notre Dame, um, them being a top five team in the country, we thought that would be a harder match than what it was. They've, they kind of fell off week two, but you know, I, they are what they are at this point, but that win looks a little less impressive, but, you know, we had a, a pretty impressive win against Wisconsin, even though they kind of ran all over our defense, that's going to kind of segue into our second question that I have for Greg, but you know, first, Greg, like I said, they, they seem to have handled business over the first four weeks, you know, looking at the rest of the season. I guess what is really their next big test? You know, like I said, we thought that Notre Dame would probably be the biggest test for the first, you know, four weeks. But what do you think their next big test of the season is going to be?
1: Well, I think it's going to be October 29th when Ohio State travels to the uh, University Park to take on Penn State. I mean, I think they they have Rutgers and Iowa in between that. So I don't see that being too big of a a hassle for them. So it's definitely going to be Penn State on the 29th. Um, The Lions are likely to be, they're a better run team than they are passing. Um, As wide receiver Parker Washington and QB Sean Clifford um, are going to test you a little bit more vertically than some other teams in the schedule leading up to that game. So I think that'll be interesting. Uh, You know, Clifford, to his credit, has been taking care of the ball a lot better this year than last year. If you remember, he's thrown for like 890, almost 900 yards, uh, eight touchdowns and just one interception. And they've started off as a 4-0 start. So who knows what they'll hit by the time they hit Ohio State. But we'll see. You know, Washington has 16 catches, 212 yards um, and Clifford obviously can do it a little bit more with his legs. So he's got, I think, four rushing touchdown uh, this year so far. So, you know, they have a, a strong running back tandem with Singleton and Allen. So uh, I think that's going to be the biggest test next uh, until we get down to uh, the end of the season, which obviously we know what happens at the end of the season. So.
0: Yes. Yes. The, uh, the team up North that we're going to get to play. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, Basically, we got Rutgers, Michigan State, Iowa in between that Penn State game. So we got a three game stretch where like, I mean, listen, Rutgers, I I don't think that they're like as bad as they used to be. You know, I think they they've gotten to that point where maybe they can be like a Northwestern where every three years they're pretty competitive within the Big Ten, but the other two years in between, you know, they're they're not gonna be awful, but they're just not gonna be where you'd probably want them to be competition wise. I don't think Michigan State's had an awful season, but they're definitely not where they used to be probably four or five years ago. And then Iowa's always hit or miss. Sometimes they give us fits. Sometimes they don't, Um, but it just depends. But I do agree. I think Penn State's more of a complete team than they have been as of recent. Um, Sean Clifford actually looks like a quarterback now, you know, compared to what he looked like in the past. So I think that that gives them a dimension that they haven't had in a while when that comes to throwing the football. They've always been a pretty decent run team, but now um, Sean Clifford can put the ball down the field. So I do agree with you. That's probably our next big test. And then I would say, like, I wouldn't sleep on Maryland there before we play Michigan at the end of the season, only because they haven't looked, like, crazy good. But is Tua's, if Tua's brother comes back, I think Tolua... Talua Tungavailoa, I think that's how you pronounce his name, as long as he comes back healthy uh, by then. He's looked pretty solid this season as a passer, so I, th- I know there's been lots of criticism against him in the past, but but he's had that Maryland team um, looking pretty decent, especially in the past game, so that could be a game where maybe that gives us a little bit of fits before the, before the Michigan game, but I, I don't really see us losing that one, but yeah. No, Penn State and then Michigan, those would probably be our next two tests, and then whoever we face, I guess, in the Big Ten Championship. But, yeah, um, kind of talking about this past uh, week with Wisconsin, and, you know, I made the comment that they kind of ran all over us. When when you look at their primary run runner, ah, their primary rusher, I should say, he carried the ball for 23 times, 165 yards, and a touchdown. He averaged about 7.2 yards a carry. So that's probably the first – we, the first three weeks we shut down other teams run game pretty much. Um, this was the first time that we've seen a run game really tear into that defense. And I'm just, you know, curious, you know, if, if, if you're concerned or if we should be concerned going forward, especially as, as we start to play better and better talent going on going uh, deeper into the season.
1: Well, I mean, it's kind of twofold. Uh, they, they've got some issues, but they've also got some, some standout people, uh, Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers are excellent linebacker tandem, and then they have like a, just a, a plethora of guys at the safe at the safety spots with Ronnie Hickman, Josh Proctor, uh, Lathan Rantham. Um, defensive line is doing a pretty good job up front, especially when it comes to stopping some of the run, uh, not all of it. Um, so you know you've got Mike Hall and Sawyer and I'm going to say his name wrong with JT to Malo, you I, I, I think they just call him jtt yeah okay jtt um so <laughs> they've they've gone they've done some pretty good uh so far i think their biggest question mark has to be there uh for their defense has to be their cornerback spot i think the two guys that have started um denzel burke and cam brown came to the year with like tons and tons of like high expectations, but have like super underperformed. And then I think JK Johnson and Jaree Brown are out there as the starters versus Wisconsin and had like zero depth to them. So I don't know. I think that the the defense is playing up to their caliber. And I think that, the you know, it's going to be coming down to, like you said, possibly Penn state, Maryland and Michigan to see if they can, uh, they can attack some of their weaknesses in that defensive line.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you when you look at the Wisconsin game, it, it looks like they really sold out to uh shut down the passing game. When you look at um their passing game, they I believe they were what 12 for 21, 104 yards, one touchdown, one reception between the two guys that played. So like they clearly weren't able to move the ball when it came to passing, but when it came to rushing, they were able to, but they didn't score a ton of points. You know what I mean? So I think, I think they kind of were just like, Hey, we're going to shut down the pass. And if you, you know, you grind out some yards and, and you keep some time of possession, then, then that is what it is. We're, we're going to make you beat us on the ground, but we think that we're going to be able to score enough points that it doesn't matter if you put up, you know, they only put up three touchdowns. So they didn't care about that because they knew they were going to put up more points, you know, with their offense and stuff like that. So that kind of seems like that was the game plan, but I don't know. That's just too many rushing yards for me to allow, especially when you talk about a 7.2 average per carry. That means they were getting, they were getting, you know, to the second or third level of the defense the majority of the time when they rush the ball. So, you know, you're relying on those linebackers and those safeties to make those tackles. But as you start playing against some of the bigger schools, once you get to Penn State, once you get to Michigan, when you play, you know, Alabama, um, if you if you end up playing maybe a team like clemson or somebody else in the playoffs that or georgia i should say probably sorry um they're going to have bigger stronger more physical backs so that's going to be mean, something that you're not going to be able that if, if you're going to go sell out and try to stop the pass like you would against alabama with bryce young then you're going to have to be able to stop the run game as well
1: too i mean on average over the first four games they've only allowed you know an average of 2.6 yards per carry so you know when you Take that seven versus the 2.6 as a collective whole. It's a little bit different. And I understand we haven't played against the greatest teams, you know, thus far, but I think as a whole, they're doing a pretty good job.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'm not, I'm not like crazy concerned. I, we're, we're four weeks in, you know, they played, they've played two teams that you would probably consider top 50. And then they've played two other teams. We are kind of like, all right, those were a little bit of tune up games, but, um, I think as they get into the the more the Big Ten schedule, that'll kind of they'll be able to iron some things out. They'll play against some better competition. And, you know, by the time we get to the Big Ten championship, hopefully that defense is fully ready to go. You know, I know it's their first season. A lot of these guys are running this defense for the first time, so it's going to take time. And a lot of these guys are young. I think that's something that we have to look at, too, is is there's not many guys on this, I think, starting wise or in the rotation that that are. That are veterans per se. There's a lot of young guys as well too who maybe be starting for the first time or or playing for the first time in their college career. So, but let's go ahead and stay in the sport of football, but just go north and uh, we're gonna talk about the Browns. So, I mean, I think people could have predicted that they'd be at this point record wise. I know the um, loss to the Jets was not one I think they had on the (laughs) loss column there. But they're they're sitting in a pretty good spot. I guess with how well Jacoby Brissett has played, Greg, do you think that the Browns could end up being top of the AFC North? Maybe they're even the best team in the AFC North at this point?
1: I mean, are they the best team? No. Um, could they hold those positions up top for possibly an extended period of time? Possibly. Um you know uh, to me the bangles are the perennial favorites for you know afc north title when it comes down to it um so i mean the the browns look good beating pittsburgh the uh, the other night um so i don't know i mean there's there's negatives and positives when it comes down to it you know i think that. That the Browns have definitely a top five uh, offensive line in football, and if that offensive line on paper, may I say they have a top five offensive line on paper. Um, They haven't shown that per se, you know, a whole heck of a lot. But if they stick hard and and you know stick to their assignments, they could get. Jacoby were set into 11 games and and possibly, you know, eight and three, uh, they've got a clutch kicker. um, So I think that that helps out with them. Um, And I think Cade York is, is he's been able to hit some pretty decent uh, kicks, some 70 yarders. I saw you in practice and stuff like that. And so um, I don't know, I think when it comes down to it, uh, you know, the Browns have to travel to Atlanta to face the Falcons. Um, Then it's, Consecutive games at home against the Chargers and the Patriots, then week week seven comes up with the Ravens. Week eight at the Bengals on Monday night, and they have a bye, and it's Miami at Miami, and then at the Bills, and then home versus the Bucks. So I think it's that those last three games, that trio of games preceding um, Watson's return, that would make what Bursette's doing possibly you know a great start to their, their season. And then obviously what happens, you know, when Watson comes up and how good they're going to do. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I agree with you. I don't think they're the best team in the AFC North. I am actually going to disagree with you on who is the best team. I think it's the Ravens. And I think the main reason is because Lamar Jackson is, I think he's the best quarterback in the division right now. I know that Joe Burrow isn't necessarily getting the best shake at it just because that offensive line is $70 million worth of shit, but um, I think that Lamar Jackson is playing probably some of the best football uh within the NFL right now when you talk about the quarterback position. I think him, Jalen Hurts, and Tua, three guys who are not necessarily known to be the best passers, um, have been lighting it up passing-wise and lighting yeah. it up on the ground. So I think that those guys are kind of taking the league by storm this year. And I think Lamar Jackson is um, side eye in the Ravens a little bit looking for money wise, but I, I do think that I do think the Browns have a decent chance of um, finishing atop top AFC North only because that defense I believe is top five. I think you're right on paper. That offensive line looks top five. I know they've been banged up a little bit, but I think they have probably the best run game in the NFL right now. When you talk about the two backs that they have, because they have two, two probably a back that you can consider who's probably having the best season out of all the running backs this year, and then this you know Kareem Hunt, who's arguably could start on, on the other teams as well too. So, I think if Jacoby Brissett can just stay consistent and not turn the ball over, they could win a lot more games than what I think people expect them to.
1: And see, this is where I disagree, and we've had this conversation with. You know about Joe Burrow last year whereas he is, you know, he started out a little shaky But once he got in the groove, obviously things started to click for them And with the comment versus Lamar and Tua and Jalen Hurts. Yeah, I'll give you Jalen Hurts and Tua are, are, are Balling it and and what is for this year is that that's uncharacteristic of them So they're doing stuff that they've never really done before and balled out like they have we've seen Lamar have these, these great starts. And then he's consistently not been consistent. And that's where I say that, you know, when it comes down to it, burrow, yes, this is technically is, is really is, you know, his third year, but his second year as a, as a full-time full season starter. And I think that, that he showed last year that, that he can play under pressure situations. And I just think Lamar is going to falter when it comes down to it. And, and, I don't see. I, I mean, I don't think that that the Browns are going to be eight and three. You know, by the time Deshaun uh, Watson comes back, I just don't see it. I'm thinking they're probably you know seven at four at best, and and really you know six and five is where I really see it happening.
0: Yeah, I mean, they the Browns should be seven and four by the time Watson comes back because I think I do think they lose against the Ravens. I think they lose against the Dolphins. I think they lose against the Bills, and I think they definitely lose. Mm-hmm. Um, against either the Buccaneers or the Chargers, I just think it depends on how banged up Justin Herbert is when they play the Chargers, and then when they play the Patriots, I think it depends on how banged up um Mac Jones is. So it it kind of those two games are kind of toss ups for me. But even even six and five by the time Deshaun Watson comes back, if 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 he is as advertised, then. You know, not not the off the field stuff, but the on the field stuff is he, if he is as advertised, then then yeah, I think that that they could can make a run. But you know, this kind of leads into my second question. You know, I'm not saying Jacoby Brissett is you know setting the world on fire, but I mean, let's say let's say they are eight and three by the time Deshaun Watson is supposed to come back, and the Browns know that Deshaun Watson hasn't played meaningful football in almost two years and maybe he comes into practice and he looks a little rusty. Do they stick with Jacoby Brissett for maybe another week or two? Because Deshaun Watson's not able to practice with the team right now. So they don't really know what he's going to look like or the chemistry that he's going to be able to build with the guys. And if Jacoby Brissett's playing pretty decent and he's not losing them games and they're winning games, do they stick with him maybe for a couple weeks or maybe even the rest of the season? Like, it is is there a battle for that QB one spot or do you think Watson just steps into it because he's the, you know, $230 million man?
1: Well, according to Kevin Stefanski, and I made, he made this statement in August that Watson absolutely will start when his suspension is over. Hopefully the Browns will be a little bit more flexible with that strategy moving forward. So say, yes, say that the Browns are eight and three coming in and do you want to stick with a hot hand uh, or do you want to go with somebody who's done, I think, the exact total 700 days between regular season starts for um, Sean Watson? So um, it really comes down to is the fancy game to stick to his word when it comes to, you know, that aspect of, of you know, playing him regardless of of how Brissett has performed. Um, but, you know, honestly, what I believe is going to happen is that the Browns could be five and six or worse after the 11 games and just making the return of Watson's just a no brainer. Um, but that shouldn't just be an automatic, um, you know, decision. Um, I think it will definitely have to be looked at. And obviously the closer we get, you know, we'll have this conversation again, but it's, there's a lot of what ifs, and there's a lot of things that have to go the right way for the Browns, uh, and for Jacoby Brissett, and even for Deshaun Watson to make this all plausible, so
0: we'll see. Yeah, I definitely agree. I mean, I don't think it's going to happen. I think they put Watson out there just because <laughs> I don't even think if Kevin Stefanski wanted to keep with Jacoby Brissett for maybe a week or two, that ownership would let him or management would let him. I think they would be like, listen, we, we paid this man all this money. He's got to go out there and, and prove that he's worth it. You know, it, and I don't know. I mean... I think from a, a football standpoint, a strategy standpoint, it makes a lot of sense if they're eight and three and Jacoby Brissett's playing good football. That even if, even if for two more weeks you went with Jacoby Brissett while Watson was getting acclimated and taken, maybe he took like, you know, half the first team snaps week one. And then week two, he took like, you know, 80%. And then by week three, he was up to 100% and he was the actual starter going forward. You know what I mean? Like, or you used him in certain packages within those first two weeks to kind of see you know, where he's at, get his feel in the game and stuff like that. I think that might even be a better option than just being like, yeah, you're not starting at all, but I don't know. it will definitely be interesting. Like you said, we'll talk about it as we get closer, because I mean, if the Browns are three and eight, (laughs) you know what I mean? Obviously they're going to, they're going to go with Deshaun Watson, but if they're eight and three, even maybe even seven and four, maybe there's a conversation to be had, who knows, but we'll go ahead and move on to some baseball talk we'll go ahead and talk about the reds first and then we'll move in uh, to the guardians who are the uh, top of the AL central this year, but for the reds, you know, uh, for our kind of, I guess, baseball expert here at the podcast, along with uh, Dom and Jeff there, what's next for the reds? You know, like what I, I just, it seems like we always say that, but but like, well, what's next.
1: I mean their farm system. When it came to the trade deadline and what they were able to accomplish farm system-wise, uh, they they've definitely put themselves in a position to have, you know, the a farm system in the top ten. Uh, so it's just a matter of developing those guys and keeping those guys because obviously we've seen the reds just are constantly in flux and, and as soon as somebody gets a little hot, they try to get rid of them for as much as they can, either cash wise or, you know, in my opinion, somebody who's, who's not uh, quite in the match for them. So um, if they keep them healthy, if they keep them together, uh, this farmer system coming in um, along with, you know, some of your, your, your veteran players on that team, um, you could see a resurgence in them. Um, I'm not holding my breath. Obviously, you know that that ownership group has has made it clear that they really don't care about winning. Uh, so, we'll see.
0: You you mentioned the farm system, and and I guess you know we, the big thing about you know Cleveland in in the past, and and I guess present, and then you know going into the future is is that they've always been really good at you know drafting guys into their minor league teams and developing them and, you know, cultivating a really good farm system because they had to, because they're a small market team. But I've just always felt that the reds haven't been at the same level as at, you know, at the same level of success that that the the Cleveland, you know, as they were Indians, now they are the guardians have been. Um, And, I guess like the question is why, why, why aren't they, why can't they, you know, will they ever be able to, is it that they give up on the guys too soon? Are they just not good at developing them? Like I just, just what is it?
1: It it, it comes down to leadership. It comes down to the culture in, in the organization. And I think that that Cleveland has always established themselves as a positive culture and you've really never heard too many players talk poorly about their experience in the Cleveland farm system and in the, at the major league level and the ownership has has shown that they, they're willing to do some things to win. Um, And obviously, you know, they they, they've stuck with a coach up there that is a player's coach uh, in Terry Francona. So that establishes a lot uh, in Cleveland. Like I, I said before, the culture, um, down there is not a culture of winning and of of Developing it's it's kind of a way station for players um, And I think it's it's more of a financial aspect For the Cincinnati Reds when it comes down to it rather than That a winning uh, aspect in a winning culture so To me it like I said I'm repeating myself but it comes down to the culture and the not only the the clubhouse, but the ballpark and the ownership groups as a whole.
0: Yeah. It's just sad. I don't know. Cause I mean, you look, I don't know. You look at the Bengals, like, even though they were kind of mid for like 20 years, like they still had good years under Carson Palmer and and Andy Dalton. You know what I mean? Like they had years where you were like, okay, this is a playoff team. And it's just like, you know, even when you look at FC Cincinnati now, like they were competitive this year, like, I mean, there there was a there was a time there where you thought, you know, instead of the crew making it into the playoffs, which I don't know how they did, you know, FC Cincinnati looked like they were going to make it in the playoffs. So you're like, you're like, okay, so there's, you know, there's a new franchise in town that wants to win, but I, just the Reds have been there for so long, and and you would think that they that something would have switched at some point to to want to build a culture of winning, to want to. I, I not not bleed their, like their citizens dry of money,
1: just just feeding them hope
0: all these years. I I don't I don't know. It just it doesn't make any sense to me.
1: And but uh, I don't know. I mean, I look at like you know the old, uh, what is it, Marge Schottenheimer? Um, you know was the old owner for them. Is that correct? I think so. Um. And just her f- fandom for the game. Um. Her. Her, her devoutness to the organization and to the the aspect of 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 winning and just you know what i mean the love of baseball you know agree with her not agree with her when it comes to her, how she handled certain situations but you know she she had that ownership um you know in her hand and she she cared for the game and and you know the players on the field showed that um and you know they definitely had it years of doing phenomenal things. And then now it's just not the case anymore.
0: Yeah. I don't know, man. I'm sure it'll be an ongoing, you know, discussion throughout the off season. And uh, I don't know. Well, hopefully, hopefully they, hopefully they, they put some money into it and some effort into it. Like the Bengals did. I think that they, they figured out that they had a guy who was, who could be a generational talent in Joe Burrow. And, and maybe, maybe the reds find a guy like that and you know they choose that it's now or never to build around them and put money into the team and and really focus on it and and try to go win you know win some games and win a championship i I don't know you know i I think that they have to find their own reason and their own motivation so but let's go to a team that has found some motivation and built a culture of i'm not going to say winning but but the willingness to want to win and just an all-around good culture with the guardians um obviously we talked about them. I want to say a couple of shows ago and I think Greg and I might be in the same opinion about, I think they got lucky with the division just being a little bit disappointing this year um, and not living up to, I guess where it should have been, but they won the division regardless of what happened or what went on. So they are um, going to be in the playoffs and, you know, I guess first for you, Greg, if everything is clicking, is, is this a team that could make a push for a championship or is this just like a, a first round exit kind of team?
1: So it, it, this actually surprised me when I did a little bit of research on some of the, the, you know, nuts and bolts of this Cleveland team and, you know, uh, it kind of actually surprised me. So, so they're, <laughs> they're an inexperienced team when it comes down to it. You know, there are a lot of young guys. It's, it's the, You know average age is is what 26 for for the team um and that can be a bad thing but it also can be a great thing you know they're too young to know what they don't know um so they just play day in and day out you know month in month out um you know not a lot of guys on that team are really household names even in cleveland um so you know like I said, 26 is, is young for a major league team. It's even young for like a triple A team to be quite honest. So, you know, that, 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 that aspect of it, um, you know, the first team in major league history to have 16 players m- make their major league debut and win the division. Um, obviously we've had, you know, standouts like Steven Kwan, um, you know, on the negative side, they rank 29 out of 30 um, in major league teams for home runs. But that's made up for like some speed and uh, you know aggressiveness on the base. They lead the league in going from first to third and are second in the league in stolen bases. So that's like one that kind. Those are the kind of aspects that that you know that makes up for them in the lack of power. And I think that that relentlessness of how they play, you know, kind of shows. And then like we talked about them before, you know. Terry and Grona to me is going to be the presumed manager of the year with with what he's been able to accomplish with this team you know he pushes his team to push the envelope during games he also preaches to his team about you know being youthful and willingness for players to adhere to two inflexible dictums, which is play hard and play the game the right way all the time you know he's kind of that old school coach so really nothing's more dangerous than a young, talented, hungry team trying to find out how good they can be. Um, the Pitching staff is good, you know, when it comes down to Shane Bieber and McKenzie and Quantrill. Um, I think they have, you know, a combined record of 37 and 24 with a 3.10 ERA and 364 more strikeouts than walks. Bowpen's been, you know, fairly good. Klaus or Klase, uh 1.46 ERA and the league leading 39 saves so you know some of those things like the 39 saves and the stolen bases in the first to thirds um that little aspect of to small ball baseball can't possibly push them we're going to see who they're going to play in that first round but uh i think they might surprise a few people i'm going to kind of take back what i said a couple episodes ago with them um because it really surprised me the you know what i saw f- for the the nuts and bolts of this team actually stepped out at me. So
0: yeah, I mean the, I mean the the old adage of baseball to to score points you got to be on base, <laughs> you know what I mean you got to get on base. So like they've they've definitely kind of gone against this you know all out power hitting kind of I, I guess game that that baseball's turned into, and they've gone more towards you know I guess I don't want to call it an older style game, but where you're just contact hitting, you're getting on base, you're putting yourself in position to, to be a score, you know, a scoring run. And I think that that's, that's something that's kind of really helped them win games this year and, and look a lot better. And I think that's been something that's been able to help those guys who are, you know, first time starters within the league, or, or it's their first year, you know, really playing a lot of time within the major leagues. And I think the other thing I, I was reading the other day with, um, Jose Ramirez, when when he signed his contract to stay with the the Guardians, he basically told him that he he didn't care if it was two hundred or three hundred or four hundred. He didn't care. He wanted he wanted to stay there. He wanted to help them win a championship. And they told him that it really started with him. That you know if he came in and he worked hard and he led by example, that the rest of these guys would follow him. And I think that you see that just this like this gritty hardworking team that is growing in front of our eyes. And I think that, do I think that they're going to win a championship? I wouldn't put money on it, but I don't think that I would want to be the opposing team playing them in any playoff series only because like you said, their pitching staff has been solid. It hasn't been out of this world, but it's been solid. And if they catch any of those three guys, on a good night, they're going to shut them down. And and the the rest of the team offensively is going to be able to get on base and put themselves in scoring position. And they're going to score some runs. So I think that – and they play solid defense. So this is a team that could go out here and surprise some people um, and maybe take a game or two or maybe take a series or two and put themselves in a position where you're like, okay, wow. You know, this team reminds me a lot of – I always go back to to the Miami Heat from the bubble – uh, for these young kind of teams that, that surprise you when they have nothing to lose. Right. Because they don't, like you said, they're young. They don't really have all that experience and they're just going out there playing with house money. They're going out there, they're having fun, they're playing baseball and they're playing just solid sound baseball. And, you know, I, I guess that, that transitions into like my second question is, you know, they obviously when you say the average age is 26, this is a young, a young core and you know, as they continue to grow, could this could they go on a nice little like three, five, maybe six year run, where they are the team to be in the division, maybe even um, the the league in general? Or you know, do you think they still need a few more pieces to kind of become that team?
1: Uh, yes to both questions, if that makes any sense. Um, you know, I, I think that they have put themselves in a position to really, you know, with the, like their farm system and just with the the young talent and the young talent proving themselves. Yes. They're, they're good for a couple more years. I think if they, they add some high power offense you know, uh, a long ball hitter that it's possible that that's just the key aspect that they need to like, make them like, not just, uh, you know, potential greatness but but uh really you know contenders for for the championship when it comes down to the big name teams you know like the dodgers like the yankees uh atlanta and stuff like that you know that could put them in that conversation i don't know who that that you know free agent you know signing could ever be but it's really plausible you know as far as their division goes you know the, the white Sox really underperformed this year minnesota super underperformed you know kansas city we talked about on deck that, you know, on paper, they have one of the best teams, you know, when it comes down to, you know, them and the brewers, when it comes down to just quality of, uh, of players, you know, in, in the rankings of their players. I mean, then obviously Detroit is no longer, you know, they, they took that division for, for, you know, a handful of years. So um, I think it's really good for them to be able to, to, to su- sustain this level of winning um, as long as Frank Kona stays healthy too and stays around, I think that that's an aspect that could possibly um, propel them even more because he has that understanding of winning. He's been in those big game situations and is a big league coach. And uh, I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, it should be a fun, should be a fun three or four, three to I'm gonna say six years going forward. And and I mean the 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 Guardians do this. They they go on like a nice little five or six year run where they're really competitive and then they have a, a down year or two and, and they add some, some young talent from their farm system and they're right back in it because, you know, that's just how they have to stay competitive within, within major league baseball. Cause they just don't have, you know, the hundreds of million dollars to spend on players like the Dodgers or the Yankees do. Um, you can even look at like Boston and Chicago, but, you know, I think that if they they continue this model, you know, eventually, hopefully, they'll break through and and win a championship. So,
1: and the great thing about this is that the, with the you're talking about, you know, how they have it's their are they're winning and losing type of kind of you know sick sick like – I know it's hard word to say, um, but they used to have a lot longer gaps in between the good years. And mm-hmm. those gaps in between the good years over the past like 10 to 15 years are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And that that only breeds, uh, you know, high level play and, and that reap that rewards could be the, you know, championships.
0: Yeah, well, I'm sure this is a team that we're going to cover a lot um, over the next, well, definitely over the next couple episodes, because by the time we get two more episodes in, they will either uh, be closing in on maybe making it to the world series, or we'll be talking about um, their exit and maybe how we felt about it. So, but definitely interesting stuff to come from them, but let's go ahead and finish out the episode here on the blue jackets. I think that they are three preseason games in at this point. Um, you know, I know that we haven't really seen much, it's the preseason, but just from what we've seen from what they've added throughout the off season, you know, I guess, what is your, what is your outlook or, or expectation for this team this year?
1: Um, I think they'll a team to watch. I don't necessarily think they're a team that's, uh, you know, gonna, gonna surprise a whole bunch of people. Um, obviously with the addition of Johnny Gaudreau. I'm gonna to how to say his name because um, <laughs> we talked about that before the episode. I wasn't quite sure. We were sitting I'd there. Say his name.
0: Gaudreau. <laughs> God,
1: God, God drew. Anyways, um, they got a lot of young talent, you know, coming in. Uh, Brad Larson's done a really good job, um, and you know, their open playing style through Larson has increased the quality of scoring chances. And under Tort, they were more of a. Uh, Preventative goal, sacrificing their body type of, of play style. So I think that that you know, Brad Larson. This is second year. If I'm not correct. Um, so mm-hmm. you've got uh, Patrick Lane. You know, he 38 goals uh, pace last season. He's an elite scorer. You've got, like I said, uh, Gourdeau, um will definitely lead the team in scoring. But I think Patrick Lane is is right behind him when it comes to that. You've got some hidden gems in Cole Sillinger and Kent Johnson. Um, so, you know, it's it's when it comes to really to I think that uh, how they perform is going to be based on their center. Obviously, Boone Jenner has been their their best option at center, but um, I think that if Sillinger plays to his potential, he could really, you know, do well for them, and he could be considered in a future number one center. Um, and then with Kent Johnson, I mean, the dude's just a puck wizard. If it comes down, you know, if that makes any sense, he's he's really good with his stick. So uh, I'm trying to not make any too many puns with that. Um, they're really, they're really asking. <laughs> what we really got to look at uh, is their, the goalie situation. Um, you've got Merz, how do you say his name? Merz Likens. Okay. Merz yeah. Um, you know, he's, he's, gonna be have to step up i mean i think he was like one one start shy of making 60 uh, starts last season or 60 appearances last season and that's like a small group of, of i think just a, you know people that um he ranked fourth in the 742 saves so he's supposed to be a workhorse if Corpusalo comes back uh healthy um and i didn't realize this one that the if uh, Corcoran comes back, he'll be the eighth season which he's been goalie for uh, the Blue Jackets, which would set a record when it comes to goalies that have stayed and played for uh, the Blue Jackets. Uh, I think Corcoran is tied for s- seven seasons with somebody else. I can't remember quite his name, but um, obviously, I didn't expect the, the Blue Jackets to improve as much as they did with Larson um, and land some of the big name talent like they did with the Gardos So. Um, We'll see we'll see how it goes I think that the preseason I think they play they split two uh with Pittsburgh um one here and one there and then I think they won uh yesterday in st Louis and there's another game tonight in st. Louis so um and from what I've seen from the, the lineups in both team you know both games is that that uh, it's been a mixture of young talent and veterans so you know obviously there's I think there's eight how many preseason games? 8 I
0: think there's like 7 or
1: 8, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think that doesn't do a lot to show you what they're capable of um whereas you know basketball and you know baseball and football have more availability to see talent. I think these their preseason just maybe is getting their legs stretched and uh we'll see. I think I think they're definitely a team to watch this year, so we'll see.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I don't know, I know, I know. You you mentioned that you, you were kind of surprised that they were able to sign uh somebody like Gordo, but I I don't know. I the comment was made, what was it like three or four seasons ago when the just mass exodus of, of all those guys that left that that I that everybody thought was going to lead this team you know forward and and make them into that, you know, consistent playoff team that we've wanted here in Columbus. And, you know, the comment was made is like, why can't we keep, why can't we keep the best? Why can't we keep guys who are good? Why why don't they want to stay here? And, you know, a lot of people blamed whether that was um, coaching or management, or maybe they blame the city. Maybe people didn't like the city that much. And, and I don't really think it was the city. Cause a lot of people, when you talk to even players on the Columbus crew, like, they love the city of Columbus and a lot of them aren't even from, you know, a lot of times from America, they're from other countries too. So they love, they love the city of Columbus. They love, you know, the state of Ohio and what it has to offer. So I don't think it's necessarily that. Yes. Is it, is it LA or is it New York or Chicago or Miami? No, of course not. We're not going to say that, that, that we as a city are anywhere close to that when it comes to appealingness or or whatever may come with that. But I do think that a big reason is winning culture and the blue jackets haven't necessarily had that winning culture yet. And I think under Larson with all this young talent, I think that maybe players will hopefully start to see like, Hey, this is a good city to be in. There's lots of things to do here. You know, there's, there's the money to be made outside of the team when it comes to brand deals Um, The city loves the team. They're super passionate about it. And, you know, as, as the blue jackets become more successful as, you know, Ohio state continues to, you know, become more successful. I think that this is a, a team that will be able to attract bigger and better free agents in the future. And, and I think as long as they continue that trajectory upwards, I think that that is something that, that we have to look forward to hopefully um and hopefully larson can build a culture of winning a culture of wanting to win a culture of wanting to be successful and i think that starts with this year and i'm not saying that they have to make the playoffs to to um to cement that but i do think that they have to start by by winning you know games in 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 being more successful throughout this season and, and coming really close to making the playoffs or making the playoffs in general. And I think that they need to take that next step over the next, you know, two to three years where they, where they almost make the playoffs, they make the playoffs, they make a deep run in the playoffs. And then let's, let's try to compete for, for, for a cup. I think that that's where we're at right now. I'm, I'm kind of with you on that. I don't expect them to, to win a, you know, the Stanley cup this year, but I do expect them to improve a lot from last year. I know that they started strong last year and we were sitting there like, Oh, is this, is this a team that maybe surprised us? And they kind of fell off. You know, they were young, they were inexperienced. And once the season really got into the swing of things, other teams were like, okay, all right, calm down. Like we're here now. We're, we're ready to go. We got our guys, like we're clicking. Um, So hopefully maybe that's this team this year where they can start off strong and they can continue strong. But my expectation is just to win games and come close to the playoffs, if not making the playoffs for this team this year. I think that's that's a fair expectation, especially with the guys that they have and the talent that they have on the team. But do you have anything else to add from this episode? Anything that we talked about?
1: I mean, when it comes to to the Blue Jackets, it it really comes down to uh, Columbus is not a hockey town. As much as you can say we've had the team for 20-plus years and whatever, it's just – you know, if you think of Columbus and you you ask anybody around, the, you know, the nation, you know, what do you know Columbus for? It's going to say oh, Ohio State football, and you know, and you, yeah. I'd probably surprise a few people if I say, do you know that Columbus has a hockey team? They'd be like, no, I didn't, because it's not considered a hockey town. And, you know, it's not Chicago. It's not um, Boston. You know, it's, it's not, you know, all these places. And you have teams like I'd say, you know, I'll give you the Tampa Bay Lightning who – was well, not a hockey town, you know what I mean? It wasn't in a hockey town until they started winning, and they started winning big, you know. Obviously, the, the Stanley Cups and everything, and and that turned. They're gonna have to. The Blue Jackets are gonna have to surprise the shit out of everybody, win big with with no dames or with with minimal talent, to turn that culture around so that people can look at Columbus as a hockey town. It's just not gonna happen. Even Gordo, you know, like he said that he had a better chance of winning staying in calgary than he did come into the blue jackets and the only reason he chose the blue jackets when it came to the scheme of of the teams that were vying for him is because it was going to be closer to home for him you know closer to boston and which is you know an, an hour uh you know plane ride from from columbus to here so you know a lot of the, these decisions aren't necessarily being made on like i can win it's decisions are made with, like what's better for my family or or that aspect Columbus is not a hockey town until the players themselves make it a hockey town. And it won't be that way. I think for a very long time.
0: I don't, I don't know about a long time. I think, I think the people of Columbus believe this is a a hockey town. You know what I mean? I agree with you outside, outside of Columbus. I don't think people view this as, as a traditional hockey town. No. And I, and I would argue that five, six years ago, people didn't view this as, as a, as a soccer town, but I think with the Save the Crew movement, with them winning a championship recently, I think that you could view in the new stadium. I think you could view Columbus now as 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 a soccer town, not just an Ohio State town. So I think that yes, I agree that there there needs to be some winning that happens, and that's why I made that point that they have to be in an upward trajectory for the next two to three years, and they have to show that they're that they're going to play in, in big time games when it matters at, you know, in the playoffs or at the end of the season and and they have to be productive. And, and, and hopefully that, that attracts, you know, bigger free agents that attracts, you know, guys that want to stay, that we bring up, you know, through, through the farm system and and into the main team or or that we draft and hopefully they want to stay here. And I don't know. I mean, it, this, this is a city that loves its, that loves its sports teams all the way down to the Clippers, which is a A team. They That stadium will be packed on a Tuesday, which is insane to me, but it will be. <laughs> so, you know, I think that it's – they they have the fan base. The fan base loves to watch them and, and loves to cheer them on, and and hopefully they have that upward trajectory. So, I don't know. Well, let's go ahead and go into our double-take segment. Um, I'll let Craig go ahead and start it off.
1: So you know how they say the stars and stripes are big and bright deep in the heart of Texas. I've heard that before. Yes. Okay. Well, have you ever heard the stars and stripes are are big and bright deep in the heart of Ohio?
0: I've not heard Ohio attached to this statement. No.
1: (laughs) Okay. Well, you know, I recently found this out and this, this goes back to, you know, a couple decades back to 1959, I believe. But did you know that the, current iteration of the american flag the stars and stripes the 50 stars and all that was designed by a lancaster of ohio high school student so as a project for his american history class uh, robert g heft um, was tasked with doing a project that encompassed what american history was and with the prospect of Hawaii and Alaska becoming the 49th and 50th state, he decided he was going to take his family's flag that had 48 um, stars on it and redesign it with 50 stars in a particular pattern. And I think, believe the year 1959 that he submitted his flag um, to Congress um, there was something like, you know, 2000, different people that have sent you know their their aspects of it in and he actually got a b minus for this particular um project he did and he was kind of upset with that and so the teacher said if you get this adopted by congress i'll give you an a so he submitted it and some i think you know six years later something like that um he got a call from Dwight D. Eisenhower, president at the time, saying, "Congratulations! Your particular design was selected as the uh, current design of the American flag with 50 uh, stars on it." Um, and so, you know, long story short, he went back to his teacher. And the teacher pre-graded him an A. Uh, I think his teacher teacher was named Stanley Pratt. Um, and so, right now, it, 60 years later. Uh, Robert G. Heff's design is the longest running design in American history. And all comes from Lancaster, Ohio. That's crazy. I don't know. I feel there is so
0: much stuff, like so much history that comes from Ohio that you just don't know about. Like so many famous people, so much, so much, like that's, that's wild. I don't even, I didn't even know that. That's crazy.
1: so I like I told you before I'm going to try to have all my stuff be Ohio based moving forward so that's a, that's what it's going to be. That's
0: just I don't yeah, I don't I don't even know. That's that's amazing.
1: <laughs> that's just, that's just a crazy stat. Like
0: anybody that says Ohio is boring or lame or whatever, no. Somebody here created the American flag. So and that's just that's just one thing that we've done here from Ohio. So us Ohioans are freaking awesome. Well, for my first thing, it is not necessarily about Ohio, but I was watching this video, and do you remember the St. Louis Browns from the MLB? I do not. Probably like way back in the day, like 1951, you know, that's the year that I'm going to talk about. And does the name Eddie Goodell ring a bell to you?
1: It, it does not.
0: Well, this is a particular player who has only one game played and one at bat and one walk. So he went in as a DH, and they were just like, just get a walk, don't swing. They were like, your strike zone is so small that they won't even be able to strike you out. How tall do you think Mr. Goodell was?
1: Well now I'm I'm um, you know I'm thinking no more than uh, four foot maybe three foot nine. He was you know, three seven. Three seven holy yeah. moly!
0: Like, so he must have just I don't even know they I I, I this so <laughs> I've been working on like um putting together a list of like just a bunch of crazy um you know we were doing some stuff on youtube and just doing the this what it this what happened to series so i've been kind of like looking into just like crazy like sports stats and like you know finding all these kinds of things and and i came across this and i was just like this is insane so you know he's three seven i i'm gonna do some more research on this and this is gonna turn into like a, a what happened to series of what happened to eddie goodell but like I I don't know if they just signed him off the street for one game just to get a walk. I I don't know what happened, but literally one game, one at bat, one walk. Like that's all they needed him to do. <laughs> like I don't I don't even know. It's it to me that was like insane. I was just like looking around for like crazy baseball things and or just sports things in general and this this popped up and I was like that's that's insane.
1: <laughs> well, you can't say he didn't underperform.
0: Yeah. I, his on-base percentage is 100%. So. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs>
1: I don't know. It's
0: insane. But um, you got a second thing for today?
1: No, no. I think I'm no. just going to stick with the one from now on.
0: That's okay. That was good. You know, we, we could call it the – I want to change the name. I don't know if I could call it one take single segment, single
1: – Yeah, it works. Single glance. I don't know. Single, Double yeah. take single glance.
0: Yeah, I don't know. If you guys got a better name for it, we'll workshop it. (laughs) So, eh, whatever. But, um, yeah, this was a fun episode. This is a little bit different. I came out a little spicy, but that's because I'm a little tired, guys. I've been up since, like, 2 a.m., so, yeah. (laughs) But this was another episode of Ohioverse. This was uh, Nick and Greg, as always. This is what you're going to get. Too bad. So, if you don't like it, you can uh, comment down below, but it's not really
1: going to change so or, or do better. I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You
0: could, you could, you like could it, tell dude. us to do better. I mean, that, that would no, be no, better. No. Than...
1: They could do better. If they don't like it, show us what you got, you know?
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Record a podcast, send it to us. And and if it is better then you know, you got a job right here at deep dive sports because we have so many things that we would love to do. And if you're better than us, please, please well, join the podcast.
1: <laughs> it really wouldn't be a job because we don't, paid none of us get paid to do this oh yeah that's fair we just you get paid in uh you know good humor and and good people and and,
0: fun uh, times yeah fun times yes fun times yeah you get fun times out of this good memories
1: (laughs) them strong
0: (laughs) all right guys well we will catch you on the next one Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Ohioverse.
1: If you'd like to stay up to date on the show and sporting news in Ohio,
0: go ahead and follow Ohioverse podcast DDS on Instagram.
1: Also, don't forget to follow deep.dive.sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and listen to any of our shows wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you. And catch you on the next one.